You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our Revolution series, a verse-by-verse study of the Book of Acts. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. This morning, uh, we have some anticipation, don't we? So, you know, the game's coming up this evening, and I'm just thinking the anticipation's kind of killing me, so I figured it's probably killing you too. So here's my thought, is that if I just teach for like a really long time, like before you know it, the game will be here, and it'll all be good, right? So that's kind of my plan moving forward. We'll see how long this goes. Um, On Sunday mornings, we're studying through the book of Acts in our series titled Revolution, in which we're looking at the events which ensued following the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the impact that it had on individual lives, on communities, even on cities, and ultimately on empires. And as we're doing this, uh, you know, what's exciting about it is that the same revolutionary gospel of Jesus Christ is still doing that transforming work in our generation as well, and we get to be part of that. So would you please bow your heads with me and pray as we open up God's Word. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to us to rescue us and redeem us. And Lord, this morning we, we ask that you would speak to us from your word, that as we study these things, Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged in the areas where we need those things. Lord, thank you that you are our all in all, and we pray that we would know you as such this morning as we study your word. So, Lord, would you give us ears to hear what you would speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a a situation where you knew that you would never see a person again? You know, many reasons why that could happen, but have you ever been in a situation like that where you're speaking to someone and you know that this is your last chance that you're ever going to have to talk to that person? Because here's what happens. When you know that you're speaking to someone for the last time ever, then there are no tangents You get straight to the point. You only say the things that are most important to you, the things that are most crucial that you could possibly tell them because you realize it's your last chance. And here in Acts chapter 20, we're looking at a situation today that is just like that. Paul the Apostle is going to be speaking his last words, his final words to some people who are very dear to him. They're more than just friends. Here in the book of Acts, what we've been looking at, what we've been reading about is the earliest Christianity, the earliest days of Christianity, how Christianity grew from a small group of disciples in Jerusalem to a worldwide movement that spanned borders and cultures and languages. And the book of Acts really is our way of seeing how these uh, first Christians lived and what was important to them. And uh, as we do that, you know, we see what authentic Christianity really looks like because these are the people who knew Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they learned from Jesus personally, and this is how they lived that out in the time following his resurrection. So here in Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul the Apostle, just to get you up to speed, he's been a missionary, he's been preaching the gospel, he's been planting churches in what's now modern day Greece and Turkey. At this point, he's been doing that for over 10 years. And during that time, God has used him in a great way and done some really amazing things. But the high point of his ministry there in, uh, in, as a missionary, it was during that third missionary journey. It was in the city of Ephesus where an incredible number of people embraced the gospel and the entire city was noticeably changed as a result. Paul ministered in Ephesus for three years. This was the longest that he ever spent in any one city during his time as a missionary. 
But towards the end of his time there in Ephesus, as we read about in chapter 19, Paul began to sense that God was calling him to go to Jerusalem. And so Paul, he, he decided to go on kind of a farewell tour. He went back and visited all the churches which he had started during his various missionary journeys. And during that time, we know that he took up an offering. He was collecting money from these churches to take with him when he went to Jerusalem to give to the Christians in Jerusalem because at this time there was a famine in Jerusalem. They were suffering, you know, not having money, not having food. And so this is kind of an act of kindness, a, a goodwill gesture that although, you know, they speak different languages, they live far away from each other, they have different customs culturally, different backgrounds. They're part of the same body, their family. They have the same identity, a shared identity as followers of Jesus. And so now Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. That's where we pick up the story. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got this offering that he's going to take there. He has a meeting that he wants to do there in Jerusalem. But he's got one final stop before he goes all the way. And the stop is he needs to say goodbye to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And so today we're going to be looking at Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, the elders of the Ephesian church. These are people, again, remember that he cared about, people he loved deeply. And now Paul is leaving them in charge of the church. He's saying goodbye to them as friends. But you know what else is special about this section that we're looking at today? This is the one and only place in the entire book of Acts where we have an address that is given to Christians. Now think about that. Throughout the whole book, we've read a lot of speeches, a lot of sermons given by uh, Paul, Stephen, Peter, and they've been given to people who weren't Christians. This is the one and only place where we have a speech which is given to Christians about how they should live as Christians. And because this is the only speech that's directed to Christians, it's an important section for us to give our attention to. So the title of today's message is Something Worth Living For. This is part two of a sermon that we began last week. So the three big ideas that Paul's going to talk about in this speech are these. He's going to talk about, first of all, earning the right to speak. Secondly, he's going to talk about finishing the race. Thirdly, he's going to talk about fighting the good fight. So earning the right to speak, finishing the race, fighting the good fight. Let's get started in verse 13 of Acts chapter 20. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, uh, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, he took, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Miletus is about 30 miles from Ephesus, 30 miles. Now can you imagine this? If somebody you know, sends you a message and says, hey man, I'm in town, I'd love to get together, uh, I'm 30 miles away, can you walk to see me, right? Like how many of you guys would be like, you know, we're good friends, but I think it's just going to have to remain memories because I'm not walking 30 miles to go talk to you. How many of you would do that? I mean, these guys did it though. It says in verse 18, when they came to him, he said this to them. So that's some incredible dedication that these men were willing to walk 30 miles to meet Paul and, and see him one last time. 
I mean, who knows whatever else they had going on in their lives. I'm sure they weren't just sitting around waiting for something to happen, right? They had stuff going on in their lives, but they were willing to stop what they were doing, and they walked 30 miles in order to meet Paul in Miletus. It's been said that one of the greatest abilities you can have is availability, and we see that in these guys' lives. That speaks to us about also about how much they loved Paul. The fact that they were willing to do something like this for him. You wouldn't do something like this for just anybody, somebody you don't care about. This shows that they deeply cared about Paul. The reason Paul didn't want to go into Ephesus, obviously, is because it would be impossible for him to have a short visit in Ephesus. There are just too many people there who he loved, too many people there he would need to see. He would not be able to keep it short, and so he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. So he goes to Miletus instead, 30 miles away. There's a port city there, and he sends for the leaders of the church to come to him so they can say goodbye one last time. Verse 18 says this, When they came to him, he said, You yourselves know how I lived amongst you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." So Paul here begins this speech, and I think it's very interesting how he begins it. Did you notice that? What was the first thing that he tells them? Does he tell them, hey, guys, remember, I want you to remember when you think of me, remember all the stuff that I taught you. Remember all the stuff that I said over the course of three years. He doesn't do that. No, he doesn't even say, remember all the incredible miracles that I performed when I was amongst you, right, as kind of this basis for what he's going to say next. No, the first thing he says, laying the foundation for what he's going to say next is, remember how I lived the whole time I was among you. For Paul, the gospel wasn't just something to talk about. For Paul, the gospel was something to live for. It was something to live out. It was something which shaped the way that he lived. And in this way, think about this, his life validated the words that he spoke. The life that he lived validated the words that he spoke. This brings us to the first big idea that Paul's sharing with these Ephesian elders and with us in this section, and that's this, earning the right to speak. I mean, think about it this way. Everybody's got an opinion, right? And some of them stink. So why should anybody care about what Paul's opinion is about God in life? I mean, he's just one guy. He's one guy in the city of Ephesus, a city of 300,000 people, one of the largest cities in the world at that time. Why should anyone care what this one man's opinion is over somebody else's opinion? And the same goes for you and me. Why should anybody care what my opinion is or what your opinion is about God and life over anybody else's opinion? See, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying this, I earned the right to speak. I earned the right to be heard by the way that I lived. I didn't just talk about the gospel. I let the gospel shape and affect every area of my life so that my life reflected my beliefs and it validated what I had to say about God in life. Let me ask you this. Does your life speak volumes about what you believe? I'm going to ask you that again because I want you to really... Think about this. Does your life speak volumes about what you believe? The way that you work, the way that you use your money, the way that you use your free time. What do those things say about what you really believe and about what you really treasure? You see, do those things match up? If you were to audit your life and look at what your life speaks about what you believe, do those things match up with what you believe in theory? For example, I think that sometimes there can just be a disconnect. I don't think it's intentional. But in order for it to be different, it must, we must be intentional about it. 
See, there's a disconnect between what we believe in theory and then how we end up living in practice. That just happens. See, some people, many people would believe that generosity is a good virtue. Not only that, as Christians, we believe that generosity is a gospel virtue because God's been generous to us, and therefore, to be like Him is to be generous also. So we say, yes, generosity is good. We nod our heads. But if you were to audit your life, some of us wouldn't find that there is any or much generosity in it at all, right? And so you can go down the line with any, anything you want to talk about, forgiveness, reaching out to others, uh, on and on. You know, what are the things that you really believe in theory and then audit your life to see if the way you live your life practically reflects those beliefs. Because I think that for most people, there's a degree of disconnect between what we believe in theory and how we live practically. And it's, again, it's not something that we do consciously, but in order to be different about it, we must be conscious about it. We must be conscious to live in a way that reflects what we believe. Sometimes we need to audit our lives and assess what our lives say about what we really believe and what we really treasure. See, Paul was able to say, and he says it in several places in in some of his letters, he was able to say that his life did indeed speak volumes about what he believed. That if you would look at his life, if you would follow him as he followed Christ, you'd be on the right track. See, and I don't believe that that was uh, prideful in saying, I don't think he, he was prideful in saying that. I don't think that's his purpose. And I know that because sometimes he says it quite bashfully, like, kind of like, you know, I hate to say this, but I, I feel like I should. Every time he brings it up, it's always done in order to teach others by his example. And that's interesting, isn't it? Think about this, that for Paul, his life was his greatest teaching tool. It's the thing that earned him the right to be heard. Now, what what if that was true of us? I'll tell you, I want it to be true of my life. You know, when I think about my kids, when I think about people who know me and who see my life up close... My desire is that Christ within me would be so evident to anyone who observes my life that the way that I live my life would speak volumes about what I believe. So I used to listen to a lot of punk rock music, and you're going to get 10 extra points if you know who this band is. I'm not going to tell you what the band is, but I just want to tell you the lyrics of this one song. And again, you text, you text that number up there with the lyrics, I'll give you 10 extra points. These points are completely worthless, but uh, you'll get them. Maybe I'll mention you on the, on the city or something, right? Okay, so here, here's the lyrics to one of the songs, one of my favorite bands from back in the day. The lyrics were, Hey, brother Christian, with your high and mighty errand, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. See, the way that we live, the way that we work, and no Googling, I see somebody Googling it. All right, so uh, the way that we live, the way that we work, can either earn us the right to speak about what we believe, or it can shut people's ears to even the good things that we might have to say. I'll say that one more time because you guys are still Googling those lyrics, right? All right, so the way that we live, the way that we work, will either earn us the right to speak to people about what we believe, or it will shut people's ears to anything good that we might have to say. But let me tell you, if you realize, maybe you're here and you didn't say, you know what, that's me. If you realize that in the past or even up to this present moment, the way that you've lived practically has not reflected your beliefs in theory, let me tell you, it's not too late to start today. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. Paul says here, he says, from the first day I set foot in Asia. You know what that means? That means there was a day when he took a step into Asia, cross that line into Asia. He took a first step, and that can be true of you as well. You can say, today is going to be the day when I take that 
first step on this journey of aligning my life with my beliefs. When I start living practically based on what I believe theoretically. See, that's the beauty of the gospel, that no matter what's in your past, it can truly be in your past. You can be forgiven, and you can have a fresh start. And even more than that, God will use those things from your past, your past failures, your past faults, shortcomings. He will use those things. He will redeem those things and even use them for your good and even for his glory. Remember, again, Paul is speaking to the the leaders of the Ephesian church. And to these people, Paul says, the first thing I want you to remember about me is the way that I lived. The first thing I want you to remember is the way that I lived. And he said, now, as I'm leaving you in charge, I'm putting you in charge over this flock of God, I want you to remember that. I want you to follow that example. Don't let the gospel just be something that you talk about. Let it be something that affects every area of your life. Let people see your life. Let them see the ways that God has shaped you and how it's affecting your life practically. He's saying you've got to earn the right to be heard by people when you talk about the things of God. And the way that you do that is by the way that you live your life. And I think that's true for all of us who are called to be ambassadors of Christ in this world. So Paul's life validated the words that he spoke. And so now Paul instructs them not only about the life that they live, but the message now that they have been entrusted with. He says this, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I didn't hold back. If you go down now to verse 26, he says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. See, when it comes to speaking about the Bible, God's word, these things, There can be this tendency for people to only talk about some topics, you know, maybe their personal favorites or their personal hobby horse, and to avoid other topics, maybe that are more controversial or, you know, things like that in our culture that people don't really want to hear about. So, you know, there are some topics that are easy, and everybody likes to hear about them, like relationships. Boom. Every pastor loves the relationship series. Am I telling you the truth? Because, listen, nobody's offended by the relationship teaching. Everybody's happy. Everybody gets something out of it, and they're feeling, you know, just a little bit challenged, but not challenged too much to the point where, you know, they're, like, upset or something. So the relationship series, every pastor's dream, right? But there are other topics that people hesitate to talk about, because, you know, they're just not as, uh, not as uh, happy and stuff, right? Like they can be divisive. For example, you know, sin and judgment and hell or, or money, right? The dreaded money sermon. How many of you guys have heard the money sermon? Uh, most people don't like to hear it, first of all, but I'll tell you this on the other side uh, of the room. Most pastors are totally uncomfortable talking about it. But here's the thing, just to give you some stats here. Did you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven? That's interesting, right? And did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he talked about love? Wow. Uh, Did you know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined? 11 out of Jesus' 39 parables are about money. One out of every seven verses in the uh, book of the Gospel of Luke, one out of every seven verses talks about money in some form or another. Because Jesus taught that the way that you spend your money is a barometer of where your heart is at before God. Yet, these are topics that people avoid talking about. But the irony is that Jesus talked about them quite a bit. And, and anything that's controversial in culture, there can be a tendency to want to shy away from those topics. On the other hand, there's a tendency to want to talk about, you know, your favorite topics and stuff like that. That's why some churches 
talk only about the Holy Spirit, like every sermon, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that. Some other churches, they never talk about the Holy Spirit, like zero. Like they just ignore that third of the Trinity. Now, and some churches will always talk, they, they love talking about sin and hell, right? Just like hitting people with it. Other churches will never talk about it. Some churches always talk about your responsibility, the responsibility you have towards God. Other churches will talk only about grace and nothing about responsibility. But Paul says, I didn't shrink from telling you anything that would be profitable. No matter how unpopular it might have been in that culture or to you personally, I didn't shrink back. And I can say today that I'm innocent of the blood of all because I proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Now can I tell you that this is one of our express goals here as a church here at Whitefields? To teach the whole counsel of God. And that's why we like to teach the way that we do where we generally, you know, not always, but generally we go through entire books of the Bible verse by verse. Because when, when we do that, we, we have to study. We're forced to study what's in the text. You can't just go around it. You can't just skip that part, right? And, you know, it's not just my favorite four or five topics over and over again on like a churning rotation. Also, studying this way, you know, it doesn't allow us to skip the hard stuff. It makes us focus on it, it makes us look at it, and it makes us talk about it and grapple with it. You know, some of you remember the first year I was here, I taught through the book of Genesis. Let me say, you know, that's, that's a lot of fun for the first couple chapters, but there are some difficult chapters in there. You know, like some really difficult chapters. Some of you remember that. You're like, oh, I remember that. Oh, there's some hard stuff in there, right? Like rape and incest and abandoning children and prostitution. The kind of stuff that, you know, if I'm picking some sermon topics, those are not the kind of sermon topics I'm going to choose to teach about. But yet, they're real life issues, aren't they? And God's word speaks to them. And so it's important for us to hear what God says about them. You see, the other benefit to studying the Bible this way is that it keeps you focused on studying the text. The text doesn't just become a springboard to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And then you, know, you, you know, spice it up with a few Bible verses which support what you wanted to say anyway. See, our goal is not just to talk about some interesting themes. Our, our goal is to teach the whole counsel of God and not shrink back from teaching anything that's in it, no matter how countercultural it might be. You know, eventually down the road, I would love for us to have gone through the entire